How many of you were on the outreach team Saturday morning? So, yeah, a few of you. Uh, we, um, we, you know, we take resources out, uh, many times food, and, and that opens the door for ministry. So uh, anywhere from six, eight, ten of us will do that kind of a thing. Uh, but how many of you know every day is outreach day? Right? So God has placed you where you're at on purpose. How many of you know that? You're called to full-time ministry. How many of you know that? Uh, you, you are the anointed one in the midst of wherever you're at. Uh, and uh, God's using us. And God is, uh, God is so good. Amen? You know, just the, just the, the opportunity to share. Uh, last evening, I got to spend my evening with, uh, with somebody of whom I won't reveal who uh, doesn't have a happy heart. Uh, but I'm maybe the only person that can talk into their lives. Uh, and so I got to do that. And uh, that was good. Amen? God's good. God helps us, yeah? Uh, let's pray over the Word. We want to dive into the Word. We've been uh, populating the cross with all these signs, wonders, and miracles. Every week I've been coming up and uh, handing out testimony cards. I forgot to bring them this morning. Uh, but we want to keep hearing from you. And as something happens, as you uh, delve into something and something happens, we want you to leave those uh, on the chair uh, and uh, so that we can keep uh, raising up this testimony of God's goodness. Amen? And God, God's still doing miracle things. How many of you know that? That's, uh, we're, we're serving a living God who's still uh, doing amazing things and uh, and sustaining us even uh, 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 even sustaining us is a great miracle. Did you know that? Yes. How many of you count that as a miracle? So, <laughs> in other words, sometimes we don't get the answer we desire, or we don't get it in the timing we desire. But a miracle working God can st- sustain us with joy in the process, right? So, uh, in the midst of our journey, uh, God, is, God is so rich uh, in making our dependency on Him uh, fruitful in our hearts and getting us, giving us uh, joy in the midst of the journey. Amen? Amen? Father, we thank You for Your Word today. Uh, we, love, we love that we have Your Word. We love that Your Word is living and alive and powerful. We welcome you uh, to minister to our hearts today. We welcome you to uh, encourage us in our walk with you. Let our walk with you be richer than ever before, more full than ever before. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? What God is really after, he's after a walk with you. How many of you know that? He's after talking with you. You know, uh, Adam... Uh, and Eve, they talked with God, and, and it was a common occurrence for them to talk with God. Yeah? And that's what he desires for us as well. He desires that there is this common occurrence, and, uh, 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 and, and that's, you know, that's what he began with. And that's really what his, his walk with Abraham was all about, was this common uh, 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 occurrence, uh, this, uh, uh, this union, this unity, this joy. To this morning we're going to have communion toward the end of the message. 
And communion speaks of that, right? Common union. God, God wants us to have common union. He, he wants us to be unified with him. And so what he's done in Jesus was make a way for us to be reunited to him. Amen? Uh, last week we uh, were in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I want to go there today just as to kind of launch. Uh, and then uh, we'll delve into uh, some of what we want to share today. And some of that today, again, is around the law. Uh, and uh, so when we say the law, specifically the Ten Commandments, we have the Ten Commandments up on the cross today. Uh, because uh, Colossians 2 tells us that when Jesus was nailed to the cross, the perfect one on our behalf, that uh, also the fulfillment, he fulfilled those commandments for us, and that they too were nailed to the cross, and uh, the accusation of the enemy uh, against us uh, with regard to those commandments was also nailed to the cross. So let's read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, Because we're preaching out of the Hebrews today, we're finishing some thoughts out of chapter 2. Next week, we want to dive into chapter 3. But there's some allusions into chapter 3 that we might touch on today as we go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. How many of you know that's over? How many of you know he did that? This was written in about A.D. 64, so for a long time now we've been living in the light of this revelation. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, for surely it is not as angels that he helps but Abraham's descendants. So he's came, he came to set mankind free of the fear of death and set mankind free of the devil or Satan who held the power of death, right? And, and what we're learning is that he did this somewhat through what he did on the cross, what he did in fulfilling the law for us, and becoming then our advocate. Jesus, in his life, satisfied the requirements of the law. How many of you grew up, grew up in church, by the way? How many of you grew up in church, uh, church kids, around church, in church, a little bit in church? Uh, that's good. How many of you grew up Catholic? So, hands up. Uh, so, a little bit of Catholic influence. How many of you grew up Baptist? Okay, so some of you. How many of you grew up uh, Pentecostal holiness or uh, Assembly of God or something like that? Okay. All right, all right, all right. Come on, somebody. Give me some more of that. I like that. All right, so uh, those of us that grew up in church, we grew up with the law. How many of you know you grew up with the law, right? So Romans chapter 3, 19 and 20 says the law has jurisdiction uh, over us. And the law has jurisdiction over us until we come to Christ. Uh, the law, we're told in Galatians 3 and 4, we're told that the law is meant to be a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So I'm sure that in those environments, Catholic, Assembly of God, Baptist, Pentecostal, Holiness, whatever it was, our parents, our teachers, uh, they were effective in using the law to make sure that we, as we were growing up, 
uh, who were maybe also receiving the, uh, uh, the Board of Education to the Seat of Learning, <laughs> that we were understanding, we were learning that we were sinners. We were learning that we needed a Savior. We were, we, were, we were being convicted by the law, and maybe your parents, like my parents, used the law when you lied, when you cheated, when you stole, when you coveted. Uh, I remember my dad being so, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the law, you know, even, even uh, 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 the allusion to theft or coveting, right? Uh, like if I would overcharge, now we're talking about uh, I would draw cars, I would draw cars, I, I would do this artwork, and if I charged, uh, and neighbor friends and school chums would buy those drawings from me, and if I charged them a quarter too much, I would have to march down to their house, and I would have to return that quarter. And boy, if I didn't do that, the Board of Education would be applied to the seat of learning. I couldn't covet too much of their money. You know, and I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't extort them by, by charging too much, and I, I couldn't steal from them, and I, you know, and I had to tell the truth. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, this is all good, uh, but the Bible says that we're only under those laws until we come to Christ. That when we come to Christ, we come into a place where we're transferred out of being under those laws or under the jurisdiction of those laws over to him who those laws were just a foreshadow of. Fact is, uh, can you hand me my phone? Uh, Fact is, let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10 just for fun. And we'll just talk. I think we've got a minute to do this. And uh, And then, Zach, do you have that? Uh, Or Marissa, do you have that? Uh, photo chart thing that we got in this morning from Alicia. Do you have that? Uh, let's go to that, and let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, because uh, we're just spending a little bit of time on the law. So just for fun, is that all right? So let's see if I can find it. My Bible's been messing up a little bit. See if I can get it to obey. There we go. Hebrews chapter, and Marissa, you could go there too. Hebrews chapter 10, and let's see if I can find out where we want to go. Is that big enough? Can you see that? Wow. Okay, so here's Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Everybody say verse 1. So the law says, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice which they offer continually year by year. Now, this is interesting. So he's implying that the, that the law in this writing, in this case, the law is not just the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments that we're very familiar with for mom and dad and Pentecostal holiness. Come on. Uh, but he's saying that the law also includes the embodiment of everything that it took to take care of us when we fell short of the law. So the sacrificial system as well. So he says that the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of the things. Who is the form, by the way? Does anybody know who the form is? 
The form was Christ. The form is Jesus, right? So if the light of God was shining across the, the, the staircase of eternity, so to speak, you know, the light of God is shining, then the light was being cast across the image of Jesus, and the, the shadow that was seen until he came was this legal system, which the Bible says was added to the promise until the seed would come. By the way, who is the seed? Jesus. Jesus. That was good. We just keep saying Jesus this morning. You're going to have everything right. So the Bible says that when Abraham was made a promise and the promise was to his seed, it wasn't plural, it was singular. Everybody say seed. And it actually wasn't fulfilled in Isaac. It was actually fulfilled in Christ. This is what Paul says, Galatians 3 and 4, that actually Christ was the fulfillment of the Isaac picture. That Isaac was a picture. And that the Old Testament or the First Testament or this Mosaic Covenant was this shadow from the light of God being cast across the true image. And what we saw for 2,500 years was the shadow first, not the image, because the image couldn't come until the fullness of time. He was the Word made flesh, so the Word had to come first, the flesh would come second. That's the way it is with God, because the word is seed, so God has to prophetically sow the word into the spiritual atmosphere first, and then when the atmosphere is pregnant, it gives birth. And who did it give birth to? What's the answer? That was the right answer. That'll be a good answer all morning. All right, so, so the law was added to the promise. The promise came first, and the promise came to... Abraham, 430 years later, the law is added. And Paul tells us the law was added because of transgression. Transgression. Men were not walking in the promise, but rather they were walking in transgression. So the law was added for 430 years until the seed of Abraham came. Right? And so we find the law is pregnant. Is that okay if I use that word? Maybe kind of a funny word. But the law is pregnant with Christ. The law is laced with Christ. The law is filled with allusions to the Messiah. The law is just overflowing, and we call that the shadow versus the image, right? The type versus the real. So let's go back to that picture And we'll try to read it. And if it's up on the middle one, I'll try to read it with you as well. So, for instance, what we see in the Old Testament shadow, God abided in a temple or a tabernacle. But in the New Testament, God abides in the temple of what? The temple of our heart. He's abiding in your heart. By the way, that's why why the temple had to come down, right? The temple had to come down because now his abode is you. Yes? In the Old Testament shadow, there were three chambers to the temple. How many chambers to mankind? Yeah, the body, soul, and spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? He dwells in the Ark of the Tabernacle. What's the Ark of the Tabernacle? Your spirit man. The spirit man 
of you is your holy of holies. You have an inner court, outer court. You have a holy of holies. Uh, very, very much the picture of God here. We had in the Old Testament the Ark of the Covenant. Now we have the heart of man or the spirit, truly the spirit of man. In the Old Covenant, we had the blood sprinkled seven times on the altar. Now we have the blood of Jesus washing away our sin. In the Old Testament, we had the table of stone with commandments, the tablets, the tablets, the law. These ten commandments were written on tablets of stone. They were a picture of our stony heart before Jesus came. They were a picture of our stony heart. Now you have a heart of flesh. Now you have a tender heart. Come on, everybody say tender heart. Do you have a tender heart? Yes? Come on, where's the Pentecostal people in the building? In the Old Testament, we had a stony heart. The New Testament, we have a soft heart. In the Old Testament, the incense came up out of the Holy of Holies. In the New Testament, the incense is the prayers of the saints. If you're not praying, there's no smell going up. The fragrance God wants to smell is the smell of the fragrance of your prayers. Yeah? Now, guess what? You have to die to something to pray. That's the kind of death he likes. That's burning flesh. That's an incense that, that he likes to smell. Yes? Is that all right? In the Old Testament, we had priests and kings, very few, and they were called. In the New Testament, we have priests and kings, and it's every single believer. Yes? In the Old Testament, we had the oil and the anointing poured upon the sacrifice in the New Testament, and also poured upon the priest and the king. In the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit poured upon all. In the Old Testament, we had animal sacrifices. In the New Testament, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, we had the Lamb of the Passover. In the New Testament, we had Jesus, the Lamb of God. In the Old Testament, we had circumcision of the body. In the New Testament, we have circumcision of the heart. In the Old Testament, we had deliverance through the Red Sea. In the New Testament, deliverance through baptism. In the Old Testament, we had wandering in the wilderness. In the New Testament, we have doubt and unbelief still brings wilderness wandering. How many of you know that? We're going to touch on some of this this morning. All right, in the Old Testament, we had the promised land. And in the promised land, there was property to possess. In the New Testament, we have the promised land. It's a destiny for every believer. The promised land in the Old Testament was a blessing mixed with giants in the New Testament. It's a land of the Spirit, but also mixed with giants. How many of you know that? Not physicals, but spiritual. Ephesians chapter 6, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In the Old Testament, Joshua gives a foreshadowing of rest. Joshua is the Hebrew word for what? What was the right answer to everything this morning? (laughs) Joshua is the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is the Greek. Joshua is the Hebrew So actually, Jesus took them into the promised land. Hello? Jesus takes you into the promised land. Joshua takes you into the promised land. Yes? Isn't that cool? All right. Uh, There's so much in this metaphor. We can't stay. We can't camp. Uh, In the Old Testament, Moses couldn't take them into the promise. 
Now Moses was taken up and he died on Mount Nebo. And Moses was amazing. And this is what this is what Paul's trying to tell the Hebrew believers. Moses was amazing. But there's a reason Moses couldn't take them into the promised land. Because the law can't take you into promise. So when we think, okay, well, Moses couldn't take him in, and, and uh, we, we, we maybe think of all the negative things about Moses, why he couldn't take him in, and, and we've identified that, well, uh, at the waters of Meribah, Moses got a little upset, and he struck the waters. Remember that? And then uh, the revelation by the Spirit came that says that when he struck the waters, he actually, in his heart, was, he was striking the people. And that when he struck the people, he was striking Christ because Christ was the people. Okay? So there's a lot of depth of revelation here. Uh, And the Holy Spirit's ministered to me on that kind of theme before. But actually, the theme that we want to really catch here is, by the way, is that the law will strike the people. Did you hear me? The law will strike the people. And when the people are struck by the law, it displeases Father. Father doesn't want you struck. He wants you led into promise. He wants you comforted. He wants you hugged. He wants you encouraged. He wants you saved. He wants you redeemed. He doesn't want you struck. The law was added not because God was fond of the law, but because of transgression, until the true answer of God could come, until the fullness of time could come, wherein he would bring the answer. And the answer is not just Christ, but it's a new heart. It's the heart of God on the inside. It's a soft heart. Amen? So kind of fun stuff, yes? Is that all right? The law couldn't take them in. In the New Testament, grace takes them in. In the Old Testament, the Jordan River stopped like 21 miles up from Jericho. Did you know that? The the Jordan didn't stop at their feet when they went to cross over. The Jordan crossed way up in the hills somewhere at a town, read it in your Bible, at a town called Adam. Did you hear me? It stopped at a town called Adam. They couldn't go into the promised land until that which was removed was rolled all the way back to Adam. Rolled back all the way to the curse of Adam. This was a picture of all of these things. And there's more. This is just one page. This is one page. The Torah, the story of Israel, the law, it is filled with metaphors of Christ. Why? Because it's a shadow. The light of God was shining across the image. And the shadow that was produced was the law. And so the shadow is going to have all sorts of elements wherein we can identify. Wow, this tells us about the Christ. There are so many things that tell us about the Christ in the shadow. But yet the image, the real, was him who was to come. Isn't that fun? The law of sin in the New Testament, the law of sin, the law of sin and death, the power of sin and death was stopped where we crossed the Jordan. It was stopped and rolled all the way back to Adam. And we come into a new creation life under the fountainhead of a brand new Adam. Jesus Christ, the last Adam. 
In the Old Testament, circumcision was an outward sign of covenant, and today's circumcision is the inner work of the heart through the cross. That's what the cross symbolizes. Amen? All right, so let's look uh, a little bit more at some of this. I want to look at something that's happened, and, uh, and I want to work this into our message today a little bit so we, we get a little bit of a revelation of being married to Christ and divorced or separated. It's not really divorced. Uh, it's, a, it's a little different concept, but we are separated from the law and married to Christ, married to another. So the picture here is that we were once married to the law, but through Christ, through his death, through the cross, we are now married to Jesus. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Let's go there. I want to read this little passage to you and uh, talk a little bit about it. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. He's trying to make this argument, Paul We believe the same writer. He's trying to make this argument all the way through uh, the book of Romans, even as he is in Hebrews, and trying to show us uh, the value of Christ, the value of the new covenant, and the replacing of Christ with the law, or of the law with Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren... For I am speaking to those who know the law. This is interesting. So he's writing to the Romans, but it's not like to the Romans in general. He's writing to those who know the law. He's writing to believers in Rome, in Italy. Do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living... But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning that husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, everybody say dies. She is free from the law so that she's not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. That's interesting, too. He's saying, there's more fruit over here. There's more fruit over this marriage to Christ. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law, that's interesting, We talked a little bit about that last week, uh, and Romans 7 talks quite a bit about this, that the law arouses sinful passions because the sin nature within you wants to do exactly the opposite of what the law tells you to do. While we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now, what I want to see, uh, what I want you to see is that, uh, and uh, we'll just tear some of these off and look at these. Is this good? Somebody's happy. 
Uh, here's what I want you to see, though, is that the spouse that you were married to before uh, had a very low level of communication. And not only did they have a low level of communication, but, but we know some other things about this spouse that you were married to uh, is that it was a very conditional relationship. So this spouse had this, uh, this uh, level of communication that was oriented around uh, don't have any other gods. Oriented around don't lie about anything ever. Okay? So this is, uh, this is a very accusatory relationship, by the way. Uh, can we hang out? Have you been lying? Uh, maybe a little bit. No, nope, you can't hang out. Because uh, if you look, if you look at Deuteronomy 28, of which we like to read that one a lot, right? Deuteronomy 28, and there's a lot of similar passages. Deuteronomy 28. It says that all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you are careful to do every single thing written in the book of the law. All these blessings will overtake you. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed in your womb, blessed in your eating basket. You'll be blessed as you go out, blessed as you come in. If you do every single thing that is written in the book of the law, don't commit adultery or don't think about it. Hey, can we talk? I don't know. You've been committing adultery? Uh, not much. Well, we can't talk. Well, uh... Uh, you hear what I'm saying? Then it picks up, Deuteronomy 28 picks up at verse 15. We got about 15 verses of like incredible blessing. It picks up at about verse 15 and it runs until verse 62 saying that if you don't do these things, all of these curses will come upon you and they will devour you till you are a piece of trash. This is a very accusatory spouse. That's all I'm saying, right? So, keep the Sabbath day holy. Yeah? Honor your parents. There's a good one. There's a good one for you. Yeah, but my dad, my dad was not a very good dad when I was growing up. And my dad, like he hurt me and abandoned me and he was just not a very good guy. And I don't know about all that honor stuff. God knew you wouldn't know about it. That's why he put it in here. Right? Now, now, the problem is that this, this system that was added to the promise until the seed of the promise came was a very accusatory system, a very accusatory marriage relationship And we found our whole God relationship wound up in this accusatory marriage. And this would be like being married to the spouse you never want to be married to. Right? No stealing. Thou shalt not steal, right? And then he combined with thou shalt not steal, no coveting. Don't even think about stealing. Did you think about stealing? Yes, that's what I thought. 
Deuteronomy 28, 22 applies to you. Sores will come upon your body until you stop thinking about stealing. Very accusatory relationship. This was not a fun relationship, right? And this was, this was the framework of our relationship toward God. No wonder, Hebrews 2.14, no wonder Satan took advantage of this to instill fear upon all of mankind so that really no one knew if they measured up and were actually going to arrive in glory. So this became bigger than the promise, and God really didn't have that in mind, but the law and all of its system that was a shadow of Christ became so big that it overshadowed the promise, and the people of Israel found themselves distant from the promise and totally married to the law and therefore distant from God, not measuring up and living under a sense of judgment and fear and inferiority. By the way, this is why 1 Peter chapter 3, when Christ went into Sheol, this is why it says he preached to the dead. I want to submit to you, he didn't preach to the righteous dead on one side of that great chasm. He preached to the dead on the other side. He revealed the promise to them again. He restored an understanding. He, he, the very essence of the shadow that they'd lived under all their lives. And I say that uh, just to also just say to you, you know, people say, well, you know, what about all those people that died before Christ? You know, if, if God was a good God, you know, let me tell you, he's better than you could ever imagine. He's got everything covered. And when Christ appeared in Sheol, he appeared in the center of the earth, he appeared in Hades, he appeared as the one who is gracious and merciful. And it says he preached to the dead. And I think that the captives that he led out of there, Ephesians chapter 4, in his train and took the glory, included a bunch of those that didn't fully understand everything, but when they were given an understanding... They bought in and they came out. And they ascended with him into glory. That's what I think. So we're married. We were married to this, this spouse that was very accusatory. And now the Bible says that that spouse has died. And what, that spouse died on the cross because everything that that spouse required... Jesus fulfilled on our behalf. So that spouse has no more usefulness for the righteous. Now, do we keep the Ten Commandments in, the, in, in government? Absolutely. Every unsaved person is still under the jurisdiction of the law. Should we remove the law across our nation and take down the Ten Commandments? Not a chance. The law is a schoolmaster to lead people to Christ. The law shows me I need Christ. But Romans 10.4, I quoted it to you last week. We could go there if you want. The law, the law is completed in Christ. And when we come to Christ, we are segued over. We come into the righteousness through him. Amen.
Now, I say this to say a couple things that are important. Um, There's a message out there called Hell's Best Kept Secret. Here's what the message says, and I want to quote to you a little bit out of this message of Hell's Best Kept Secret. Modern evangelism with its methods is creating 80 to 90% of what we call backsliders. Now, this, this author, of whom I respect greatly, who's written this message, Hell's Best Kept Secret, says that in one year alone, a major denomination in the United States obtained 294,000 decisions for Christ. But at the end of that year, they could only account for 14,000 people who were in fellowship. They couldn't account for 280,000 decisions for Christ, and this is normal, modern, evangelical results. Now, this presenter is going to go on to say that the reason this is happening is because we don't preach the law anymore. And they're going to go on to say that our churches are messed up and people are falling away from the Lord because we don't preach the law anymore. And what we need to do is we need to return to preaching the law and preaching the Ten Commandments. We need to go back and get married to Mrs. Accusation. And if we were married to Mrs. Accusation, we would have more of a fear of God. And the fear of God would keep us from sinning. But that's not what God has ordained. And I want to encourage you that I think that there are some things that God is telling us that we need to do so that we don't have a lot of backsliders. And I think there's things the Christian, the church is doing or could change that would change up this realm of backsliding. Number one, I think that we preach the cross. Everybody say the cross. Now, it's interesting. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood. The Hebrews is going to tell us that no covenant can be sealed without the shedding of blood. Why? Because a covenant means that I give my life for yours. A covenant means that I lay down my life for yours. A covenant means literally the phrase unto the death. It means I'll no longer live for me. I'm actually going to live for you of whom I'm in covenant with. Now, we know this in our marriage vows as well. These are are the reasons that we have marriage vows because it's actually what we're saying in a marriage vow is we're saying, I give my life to live for you unto the death. I'll no longer live for me. I'll live for you unto the death. We know this is what uh, this is what your bank note is when you pledge to pay off your house. It's called a mortgage note. A mortgage note is a death note. Mortgage. It means you're saying to the bank, it's actually a form of a covenant. You're actually smearing blood on a piece of paper, and you're saying unto the death. I'll no longer live for me. I will live to pay off this bank note. This is what the cross was about as well. Jesus gave his life up on the cross that we too would take up our cross and give up our life. And what we have is a lot of people in churches who haven't given up their lives. 
This is why Paul says the right response, the fitting worship, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we could go there on the screens. The fitting worship for every one of us, for him who gave up his life for us, is that we would give up our lives for him. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living, a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is part of why we have backsliders. We don't need more preaching of the law. We need more people, people willing to live for him instead of live for themselves. We have a lot of churches and a lot of Christians wherein Jesus is the cherry on top. He's not the Lord of their lives. He's not their master. They haven't given up their lives to serve him, to follow him. They haven't laid down their lives unto the death. They've just added him to their lives. They've actually made him the one who makes all of my dreams come to pass. But if I haven't submitted my dreams to him, then I probably have the wrong dreams. So part of the risk factor is actually submitting my dreams to him and saying, are these the dreams you've ordained for me? I only want to pick up the dreams you've ordained for me. I only want to walk away from this cross with what you've ordained for me. And if you've ordained it for me, then I'll pick that up and I'll walk with that. So this is part of our problem in churches and with Christianity. We don't need more of the law. We don't need to be married to Mrs. Accusation. We need to be married to him who leads us to fulfill his will. And sometimes that will be contrary to ours. Number two, we need more deliverance. We're not teaching in our churches that when we come to Christ, we actually need to get free from some things. There's actually some demons that need to stay at the altar. There's actually some unclean influence. We have this errant teaching that as soon as you're born of the Spirit, you're free from all demons. Really, how come you keep messing up? No, we need, we need deliverance, every one of us, including yours truly. And if we would begin to return to resisting the enemy and recognizing our warfare is not with flesh and blood, but our struggle is with principalities, powers, unclean spirits that seek to move us and influence us, we'd be getting a lot more victories and we would have a lot fewer backsliders. It's, an, it's actually a normal thing to say no to an influence that is not of the Spirit of God. That's a normal thing to say no, leave, go, get, right? And number three, the third thing I want to point out to you that I think would make a giant difference. And we're going to go into this now in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4. is trusting fully in the promises of God. Trusting fully in all that our spouse seeks to provide. 
Doubt and unbelief kept Israel from going into the promised land. And today, doubt and unbelief is harming the church and the people of God. We have way too much doubt and unbelief. And when we allow doubt and unbelief to grow in our hearts, then we automatically go back into a system of trying to measure up and a system that's distant from the marriage that God's ordained through Jesus. Would you stand this morning? I'm going to ask the ushers to serve the elements. We're going to begin to do that around the rows. And we want you to take this morning, even if you're new with us, if this is your first time this morning, you're welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper with us. Why do we call it common union, right? I'm making a play on the words as I talk. Because this is what God's done for you in Jesus. God has nailed the fulfillment that no person could bring about. The fulfillment of God's righteous requirements, He's nailed that to the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross. Because Jesus fulfilled those righteous requirements for us. And the shedding of his blood on that cross unto the death was so that we could have a covenant with God, so that we could be restored fully to God, so that we could have relationship once again, so that we are not led by accusation or separated because we don't measure up. But rather the blood of Jesus cleanses us from unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus speaks on our behalf. Come on, come on, team. We want you serving from the front. Ushers, come to the front and begin to serve the elements, would you please? Hallelujah. We want to do this right away. Pass those right down the road. Take those elements. If anybody has not been served, we want to make sure you're served. These elements signify the completion of the Lord on our behalf. Just even as you receive the elements, I want you to just begin to move into thanksgiving. Begin to move into thanksgiving for what he's done. The bread represents his broken body. The cup represents his shed blood. We now have covenant with God. We have a covenant with God. Let's worship as we take a moment.